Thank you, Brother Tim. Thank you, team, for blessing us today. I want to add my word of welcome to that already given to say thank you for being in God's house today. Let me just speak just a personal word to you before I get into my message. 2020 has been quite a year, hasn't it? Hurricane this week, tornadoes earlier in the year, coronavirus. Dear church that I love down the street closed down again because many of the staff have contracted the disease. My sister texted me last night in Greensboro, North Carolina. She has it. Her husband just got out of the hospital 10 days with it. And now my sweet sister Nancy, and if you're listening, Nancy, I said sweet sister Nancy, listening. She does listen, and I hope and pray she gets better quickly. She's not in the hospital, but she is experiencing the terrible lethargy that some people do experience with it. And then an election season and a political divisive climate like we've rarely seen in our lifetimes, probably not since the 1860s has our nation been this deeply, deeply divided with vitriol and hatred that is rampant. And I think of all that and it brings me to a phrase that's in the first sentence of my opening illustration and it talks about a time of miasmic lassitude. <laughs> How about that phrase? You know what miasmic lassitude is? Basically it means a rotting mess and it's referring, and I'll come back to it, to the Great Depression. Miasmic lassitude. That describes 2020. As one meme said, how are those black-eyed peas and collard greens working out for you this year? Not real good. Not real good at all. <clears throat> There's been a bright spot in it, hasn't there? And that's Pebble Creek Baptist Church. Amen is right. I think back over this year and then think of what God has done for us over this last year and few months. I just, my heart swells with gratitude. Uh, and the 16th of this month, we gathered and, and thanked God and rededicated these facilities to His glory, to His honor. And that was such a sweet time. Uh, inside, things are looking so beautiful. Outside, uh, we've redone everything and are still working on it. And by the way, Yana Frederick, stand up. She's in the balcony. Stand up, Yana. She hates this. But she helped do the beautiful plants that we have. And thank you, Yana. I didn't say thank you back on the, back on the 16th, but she is a servant. And, uh, and by the way, I think her, even her husband and son helped dig some of those plants and along with others. And uh, so Tommy and others, and then Workday, many of you came and we planted and finished and put down mulch. And so just inside and out, you've help to make God's church. But there's been a growth inside among God's people that's been beautiful, precious, and I just want you to know it's an encouragement to me and to Mrs. Page and to my family. So thank you, thank you, thank you. In the midst of a terrible year, we have to look and see what has God done good for us. And there is much to be thankful for, isn't there? There is. But back to my message, it 
This comes uh, from Billy Graham's autobiography, which I've quoted from before. I've referenced it before, and I've told you that if you want to read a great book, read Just As I Am. Billy Graham's autobiography, and on page 62, he tells of a time, and yes, the author refers to it as a time of miasmic lassitude. Remember what I told you? A rotting mess of the Great Depression. He said, with its ruinous bank failures, with its merciless mortgage foreclosures, with the disappearance of businesses and jobs, a group of Christian businessmen called the Charlotte Christian Men's Club formed almost a decade prior, met in a, a, under the trees of a pasture owned by a man whose name was Frank Graham on the south side of Charlotte, a dairy farm. And there they met for a day-long time of prayer. These men, the autobiography says, importuned God meaning they prayed and prayed and prayed for some insight, some direction, some inspiration that would enable them to endure the doldrums in which they were adrift. Big words. They were having a tough time. But added to what was happening economically in the Great Depression, they said they, these men felt the churches had become self-satisfied and smug and carried little cared little for lost souls around them. What does that sound like? It sounds like 2020. At some point, the lead, leader of the group named Vernon Patterson launched what must have seemed an improbable entreaty as he prayed that out of Charlotte, the Lord would raise someone up to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Hmm. Surely none of the more modest group there believed that just a few yards away, pitching hay into feed troughs, was a young man named Billy Frank who might be the answer to that prayer. When a friend who had come home with Billy Frank after school asked him what all those cars were doing and what those men were doing out in the pasture, Billy Frank said, oh, I guess that's just some fanatics who talked Daddy into letting them use his place. Well, out of Charlotte did come a voice who would preach the gospel to all the nations. Yes, Billy Graham named called Billy Frank in those days, was the direct answer. And I, I read that and I think, has a prayer meeting like that ever happened here? Has a prayer meeting like that ever happened in Greenville? Has a prayer meeting like that ever happened at Pebble Creek? Jesus has taught us so much about prayer in the 17th chapter of John, and he will continue to teach us today about the power of a consistent prayer life. Turn there with me, if you would, please. We've looked at it, and now we're coming to the end of it. John 17. Remember back in the last verse of, six, the last verse of 16, he taught us that we could be overcomers like he was. 
And so out throughout John 17, we've seen several ways that we can become overcomers. If you might remember back in verses 1 through 5, we saw that we might become overcomers as we share his life. And then we saw in verses 6 through 12 how we could know the Father personally. And then we saw in verses 20 through 26 last week how we could share. He even had his word to guide us. And now we see in these last verses how to share his glory. So look at these verses, 20 through 26. The last part of what I call the Lord's Prayer. This high priestly prayer is God the Son, praise to God the Father. Remember I told you weeks ago, you get the privilege of listening in on the greatest prayer that ever was prayed. As Jesus, God the Son, prays to God the Father, He gives us the intimate seat of listening in. And He concludes it there in verses 20 through 26. He said, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in Me through their message. Look at verse 21. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they be one in us. Now, if you're a Bible marker, some of you like to mark your Bibles, this is the verse to mark. And it's going to become a memory verse for us. Verse 21. Look at it. May they be one in us, so the world may believe you sent me. We're going to come back to that. Believe me. I've given them the glory that you have given me. May they be one as we are one. Do you keep hearing that recurring prayer? I pray they would be one as you and I are one again. Verse 22, I've given them that glory you've given me. Verse 23, I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely, how much? One. So the world will know that you've sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, verse 24, I desire thee, those you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. Wow. What a series of prayer requests from God the Son to God the Father. As he prays, all these things that we might be overcomers and the accompanying benefit is a powerful unity that shows people who we really are. He talks about the glory of Christ being revealed to a lost world through believers. So quickly, first of all, let me remind you what the word glory really means. We've talked about it previous, but again, let me remind you what the word glory really, truly means. We use it so often. Uh, we say we're going to give glory to God, right? And that is a way of ascribing what? Praise to the Lord. 
But here it's used in a really a different sense. Now, it's okay to say it that way. But glory here means something like the manifest presence of God. Again, we have to deal with the limitations of English to describe divine truths. But glory here really means the importance and shining majesty of the Lord. To put it in our common terms, it means to express His power and majesty. So look at verse 22. He says, I've given them the glory that you've given me. What does that mean? I've given to the disciples the power and majesty you gave to me. How? Look at verse 24. Again, he talks about the glory. Father, I desire those you've given me to be with me where I am. What do you think that means? We'll come back to it maybe, but he's saying I want them to be in heaven with me. You see, when a believer dies, you don't stop and collect $200. You, you go be with him. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I ask you, Father, let them be with me. Look at verse 24. To be with me where I am. Then they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Don't believe anybody that comes to your door knocking saying Jesus was a junior God who was adopted or born and didn't exist. The Bible says he was given glory before the foundation of the world. Before the world was ever created, Jesus says, you loved me. But I've given them the glory that you gave to me. So let's be reminded of what the word glory really truly means. The expression of the divine power and majesty of the Lord. But here Jesus is praying for the future, isn't he? He's praying for the whole church. So now the burden of his prayer is unity. The burden of his prayer is unity. And look with me there as he prays not once but twice for unity among the body of believers. Now why would he pray for that? Because it was of extreme importance. Like the oneness of the Father and the Son, he prays that we would be one, Father, as you and I are one. Remember what I told you. We believe in one God expressed in three persons, a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all co-equal, all co-eternal, all co-existent. All coexistent. And so we see here, he is praying that we would be one, exactly together, like he was with the Father. Now we are in a Baptist church here, right? We're in a Baptist church. Now, down the street, there's a Velocity Church. I don't know what they are. I don't. I mean, it's a non-denominational church. I'm teasing. I'm kind of sort of teasing. I do know they follow the Bible. They, they are wonderful people. And then on the other side of that is a presby, what? Presbyterian, I call them. Well, there's versions all over this place. I do think, I've been told, that Greenville, South Carolina is the highest church population in all the nation. 
more churches, and it is the number one property holder in Greenville, in our churches. Well, so does that mean that they're all wrong and we're all right? Well, of course it means that. I wouldn't be in a Baptist church if I didn't believe it. Okay, no, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Stay with me. I've told you before, I've joked with you, you know what I'd be if I wasn't a Baptist? I'd be uh, shamed. <laughs> anyway, just joking with you, just joking with you. Listen, we have different fellowships because we do interpret Scripture a little bit differently. But you will not hear me ever saying the people at Velocity Church or the Presbyterian Church do not belong to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You're not going to hear me say that because I don't believe that. We are a part of the same body of faith. And we may privately have our disagreements. And I was having a little disagreement with a charismatic brethren the other day. But let me tell you something. He's a follower of Christ like I am. And I love him and I will defend him. We are a part of the same body. So the burden for this prayer is unity, that we all belong to the Lord. Now the disciples many times broke into groups and they were selfish, they were self-centered, they competed with each other. Who do you think is going to be his favorite? Who do you think is his favorite? Well, I know I am. Well, what about you? Who do you think is going to sit on his right and left when he comes into his kingdom? They were guilty of competition and disunity. And so it is in our modern-day churches. Listen to the great words of the Puritan preacher Thomas Brooks. Listen carefully. He said, Discord and division become no Christian. For wolves to worry the lambs is no wonder. But for one lamb to worry another lamb, that is unnatural and monstrous. He's using ancient language, but bottom line, he's saying, we expect the outside world to attack us. But what in the world is wrong when Christians attack Christians? So third, what is the basis for the true Christian's unity? The Bible tells us the person and work of Jesus Christ and His glory. Look at verse 22. He is here telling us, that we will experience that glory even more when we get to heaven. But now we experience it also. I desire, he says, I've given them the glory you've given me. So he promises this. Then in verse 24, I desire those that you've given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my glory. So we experience his glory, his power, and his majesty now. But we will experience it even more. When we sit with Him in heaven, oh, I can't wait for that day. You see, true believers, all true believers have God's glory within them. And the more we grow, the more that glory becomes evident, not only to our family, but to our friends and to a lost world. Listen carefully. We must look beyond the elements of our first birth. We must look beyond the elements of our first birth and build our fellowship on the essentials of the new birth. Keep that up there just for a moment, please. I want you to see this. You know, over the years, I've heard of people who say, well, I can't worship with black people. I can't worship with dirty people. I can't worship with fill in the blank. That's basing your fellowship on the first birth. Oh, don't, by the way, don't ever say any of those things to me. You wouldn't. 
and you haven't and you wouldn't and I wouldn't advise it we better build our fellowship on the essentials of the new birth are you a follower of Christ do you belong to the king of kings and lord of lords then you're my brother you're my sister and I will defend you and I will love you and I will take care of you and you're going to take care of me aren't you you see, we must build our fellowship on the essentials and the realities of the new birth, not the first birth. We already possess His glory within us, but one day we will experience it even more. And it must reveal itself in what we say and in what we do. It must reveal itself as we grow. Remember the words of Matthew 5.16? People will see our good works and glorify us? No. People will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. So here Jesus says, don't you see how important this is? Look at the latter part of verse 21 and also verse 23. And he says, so that the world may know that you've sent me. Our unity affects our evangelism. Listen to me. Look at me. Our unity affects our evangelism. When we can't get along as God's people, we send lost people to hell. Did you hear me? And that's why it is so important that we guard the unity. Now, I talked about unity a couple of Sundays ago because this text did. And somebody came in and said, Pastor, we're having a trouble in our church that I need to know about. No. No. But I want to keep it that way. I want to keep it that way. We must guard the unity at all costs. Why? Because of the lost world sees fighting Christians and they go straight to hell. Whew. We have negated the prayer request of Jesus over and over and over. God forgive us for negating the prayer request of Jesus. Jesus prays, God the Father, I pray they would be one as you and I are one so the world might know that you sent me. I, there is no more powerful prayer request in all the Word of God. And look what we've done. But they don't understand. I'm going to get back at that person. They don't understand. I want what I want. They don't understand. Really? Friends, we must guard the unity because it affects lost men, women, boys i got to move on. One of the things that most impresses the world is the way Christians love each other and live together in harmony so that the world might believe. We've seen it over and over. But friends, if they see hatred and division, it takes a total different tact. Jesus has assured us that some will believe. Look at verse 20. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. He wants the lost world to come to him. So we must make sure, verse 20, that our message is true and loving. But many churches have become prosecuting attorneys and judges rather than faithful witnesses. So he tells us we have every reason why believers should love each other and live in unity. Uh, trusting the same Savior, sharing the same glory. Have the same heaven. Have the same Father. Believe the same truth? Follow the same example? Sure, we have our differences. Let me tell you, if you don't like some other people, 
What are you going to do when you're in heaven? You have to spend all eternity with them. What are you going to do? You say, I don't like certain kinds of people. <laughs> they probably don't like you either, by the way. But what are you going to do in heaven when you have to spend two, 3,000 years just sitting right beside of them? We need to learn to love now. We need to learn to love now. He also lastly declares the importance of truth and love in the church. Look at verse 26. I made your name known to them, and will make it known, so the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. So the love you've loved me with may be in them. He declares the importance of truth and love. Told you before, truth without love is brutality. It's legalistic hatred. Love without truth is hypocrisy and a liberalism that leads people straight to hell. So we must both be true and loving. Oh, my friends, believers know God's true name, nature, and even share that divine nature. And it is both true and loving. So he gives us some spiritual priorities here. The glory of God, the sanctity of God's people, the unity of the church, and the ministry of sharing the gospel. I think we all need to always ask ourselves a question. Am I a part of the solution or am I part of the problem? Am I part of the building up of the kingdom here or am I part of the tearing it down? Oh God, let us always be a part of the solution. I pray that today we will not negate the prayer request of Jesus. Father, my prayer is that they would be one. As you and I are one. One of nature. One of purpose. One of mission. I pray, God, that they would be one, just like you and I are one. So the lost world will know Jesus is real. Amen? Pray with me. Father.